Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. The Old Testament book of Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy chapter number 33. Deuteronomy and chapter number 33. We're finishing up our series of the life and ministry of Moses. And as we've been going through the book of Deuteronomy, we understand that the book of Deuteronomy is the second telling of the law. For 120 years, Moses has been alive. For the last 40, God has used Moses to lead his people through the wilderness and up to the promised land. And now the book of Deuteronomy covers the last month before they go into the promised land. Moses is now having the opportunity where God is allowing him to preach and to be able to preach to the people. And all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, we could see special and unique names of God that God wants to reveal to his people. We've gone to different names like the great God. We've seen other names of God. But now as we come towards the end of this series, we have one more name of God that refers to the people as Moses is preaching to the children of Israel as he's trying to encourage them about living for the Lord as they go to the other side. As Moses is no longer going to be able to lead the people, they're going to have the responsibility for themselves to live like God's people. And so if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 33. Deuteronomy 33, and if you don't mind, we're going to start reading the first five verses, and then we're going to jump down later in the passage to complete this thought. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 33, starting at verse 1. Deuteronomy 33 and verse 1. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. And he shined forth from Mount Param. And he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand when a fiery law for them. Yea, he loved the people." All his saints are in thy hand, and they sat down at thy feet. Every one shall receive of thy words. Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. And he was the king and Jeshurun, when the heads of the people and the tribes of Israel were gathered together. Jump down with me to verse number 26. Deuteronomy 33 and verse 26. And there is none unto the God of Jeshurun, who rideth upon the heaven in thy help, and in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and say, destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall he be upon the land of corn and wine. Also his heavens shall drop down dew. 
Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee. O people saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, who is the sword of thy excellency. And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and shall, thou shalt tread upon their high places. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 33? Deuteronomy chapter 33, and notice with me in verse 26, the name of God that's listed here, the God of Yeshurun, the God of Yeshurun. And with the Lord's help, we want to study this name of God, God of Yeshurun. This is in the Word of God, El Yeshurun. You could find this and spell it E-L space Y-E-S-H-U-R-U-N. El Yeshurun, which carries the idea the God of His righteous people, the God of Yeshurun. And what we want to study and understand here is that God's ideal character and calling of his people. God's ideal character and calling of his people. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for the great privilege to be able to study your names in the Bible, to be able to understand more about you and your character because of these names. I'm asking that you would just help us to respond properly to you. Lord, I'm so conscious now that I need your spirit, your guidance, your help. I do not trust my own. So even now, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let me just trust you and that you reveal to these good folks, illuminate to these good folks whom they are supposed to be because of the God that we have. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now remember that when we study the names of God, the names of God tells us something special and unique about God that he wants us to know. And as we come to here, we come to a very special name of God that is found within the Bible, the God of Yeshurun. The word Yeshurun is a poetical name for Israel, and it means upright, righteous people. That Yeshurun is supposed to be the upright, righteous people. So he is the God of the upright, righteous people. Now, this name comes from the idea of the ideal character that God has that he desires for his people to be. Did you know that God wants you to do something? He wants you to be something. And it is supposed to be a reflection of God's character. Now, the picture of this name originally comes from when Jacob, the Old Testament Jacob, you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Of course, Jacob became renamed Israel, and the rest of Israel, the nation, was named because of this name change. But you could see this important name change. Jacob in the Old Testament, his name meant surplanter. It carried the idea that he was a liar. And we saw that throughout his life, that he lied and schemed and manipulated. He tried to live his life on his terms. When he even he knew God's will, he even tried to manipulate to get to God's will. He tried to do everything in his own power. But then he came with an encounter to God and his life changed. And as his life changed, God renamed Jacob. He went from liar, supplanter, the one who manipulated his way to Israel, which meant prince of God. That there was something that happened that required a name change. We know that name changes have happened in the Bible. Saul went to Paul, the apostle. He went from 
an old character, Saul of Tarsus, was a murderer, was a zealous, but was zealous in ignorance towards God. He thought he was doing God a favor by pulling out Christians and murdering. But then something happened to him, and there was a change in his life, a change in character. And he became Paul the Apostle, which was totally different in character, in personality, in ideas, in goals, than was Saul of Tarsus. The same thing is true about Jacob. Jacob was in his character was flawed. He was a liar. He was a manipulator. But after an encounter with God, when he realized who God was, when he fell in love with God, when he realized God's character and how it affected him, how it changed him, he became different in character and was renamed Israel. Well, we know that these people of Israel, the nation of Israel, two and a half million complaining, murmuring people, they had failed God. Over and over, they complained about what God was doing in their life. They complained that God delivered them. They complained about God's provision of food. They complained about this and they complained about that. But after 40 years of traveling in the wilderness, and now as God has worked with these people and Moses is preaching to them again, he's giving them a reminder that when you cross over the Jordan River, as you cross over into the land that God had prepared for you, there's going to be an expectation of a changed life. Remember that the Jordan River, the crossing of the Jordan River, is not a picture of crossing into heaven. Some people will teach that, but it's not what it carries the idea. What it does show is that it is the death to self. As you get into the promised land, it is the victorious Christian life. You say, how do we know it's not heaven? Because in the promised land, there's building and battling. They're still fighting against the nations. They're still fighting against... Uh, Israel, they're still are they're fighting against the giants in the land. They're building up cities. There's building and battling, but they're having victory as they depend upon the Lord. It is a picture of the victorious Christian life. And as they're depending on God, as they're living a victorious Christian life, there is going to be a change in character, a change in personality, a change of ideals, a change of character. These are supposed to be a changed people because of the God. Who loves them because of who God is. Notice with me again as we look through Deuteronomy chapter 33. Notice with me in verse 1. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses the man of God blessed the children of Israel before his death. So here it's recording the blessing that God has for his people. Remember it all begins with God. God is previous. God is the one who did these things for the people. He delivered them out of the land of Egypt. He has fed them supernaturally. He has cared for them. He has taken care of them. This is the blessing that God has as he's reflecting whom he is to these people with the expectation that God is expecting these people to be different. Expecting these people to live uprightly. To expect these people to live righteously. Notice verse 2. And he said, the Lord came from Sinai and rose from Seir unto them. And he shined into Mount Paran. And he shined, um, shined forth from Mount Paran. And he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand when a fiery law for him. Once again, it's talking about poetically how God is taking care of all these people. And he's provided the law. He's giving them the laws of righteousness. He's revealed of whom he is. Verse number three, yea, he, that's God, loved the people. 
And all his saints are in thy hand. And they sat down at thy feet. Every one shall receive of thy words. Notice verse 3. God loved his people. It all begins with God. And God loved them. And is expecting because he loved them. To change and reflect his character. Because of the love he had for them. Verse number 4. Moses commanded us a law. Even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. And he was king in Yeshurun. So this is again that poetical name. Talking about God's ideal of character for these people. That God is the God of the people in his mind. This is what he wanted his people to be. This Yeshurun. This righteous upright people. When he was king in Yeshurun, and the heads of the people and the tribes of Israel would gather together. Notice with me back in verse number 26. And there was none like unto the God of Yeshurun. Once again, this poetical name of God. The God of the righteous upright people. The people who are living right. The ideal character. This is what God wanted. God wanted to be the, the God of people who had changed lives. Who were living differently because of the God who loved them. The God that served them. Verse 26. And there was none like unto the God of Yeshurun who rideth upon the heaven in thy help and his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge. We're supposed to run to this God. Every time we need help. Every time we need victory. We're to run to the eternal God. The God who doesn't stop. The God who doesn't die. The God who doesn't get tired. We run to him. The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Oh praise the Lord for God's everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee. And, say, and shall say destroy them. Again as the children of Israel are going to go to the promised land. It's a picture of the victorious Christian life. Of building and battling. And there is no victory without the building. There is no victory without the battling. But God is able to get them the victory time and time again. And because of God able giving us the victory, it should change our character and who we are as a reflection of what God is to us. Verse 28, Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine. Also his heavens shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel. Who is like unto thee, O people, saved by the Lord? You understand, this is an important distinction. Who is like us, the people saved by the Lord? Happy art thou, O Israel. Who is like unto thee? You know, God has done something special for us. For us who, we've had our God come from the glories of heaven, robe himself in flesh, and dwell among us. Then that God died for us. For us as saved people, you know what has happened? We have realized our God died for us. Who was like unto this? The people saved by the Lord. People delivered by the Lord. For the people of Israel at this time. There's been no other people that have been delivered directly by God himself. Than these people. They were led out of Egypt by these plagues. They were guided by God. By his spirit. They, God opened up the Red Sea. He is supernaturally taking care of them. God has done so much for these people. Is it hard to imagine that these people would have a change of character? They're... They, they would have a change of righteousness as they keep looking unto the God who loved them. You would expect them to have some changes with a God who did so much 
for them. It talks about happy art thou, O Israel. Who is like unto thee? O people saved by the Lord. The shield of thy help. Who is the sword of thy excellency? And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee. And thou shalt tread upon their high places. Now again, the book of Deuteronomy, we're introduced to this name of God. The God of of Yeshurun, the God who loved his people, and because of that, he is expecting them to have a change of character and live righteously because, as a result of who God is, that it started with God and the people are responding to the love that this God had. Well, we could see this as an Old Testament principle, but did you know that the New Testament has this same principle? That God expects to be the God of ideal people, ideal in character, ideal in righteousness. Let's explore this thought in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, and let's see this expectation that God has for us as saved people, because our God died for us, because our God rose for us, because our God loved us, God is expecting for us to have a change of character. He's expecting us to respond differently. He's expecting us to be a reflection of God's character. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's start in verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And he that died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. In this passage here, we understand what is our motive. What is it that changes us? The love of Christ. If you go to the Apostle Paul, and you can see him as he's fixing to start church number 82. And as he's going, his back is beaten. He's in poor health. He's struggling. Churches have been to discouragement to him. He's watching his things fail. But he's moving forward after all this persecution. And if you were to walk beside the Apostle Paul and said, Paul, why do you keep going? The roads are long. The path is rough. The persecution's lying for you ahead. What's keeping you going? You could almost see Paul turn his head as best he could with his beat back and look and say, let me tell you why. Why do I keep going? The love of God constraineth me. Every time I think about doing something different, every time I think about quitting, every time I feel like doing something for myself, I go back to the love of God. I go back to who God is. I go back to how much God loved me. And I can't get away from that. I can't move away from the love of God. It constraineth me. That word constraineth carries the idea of giving you a big hug. It's holding you. It's restraining you. God is holding you fast. The love of God is holding him in. And so whereas in his flesh he might want to run away. He wants to go away. If he had his own choice from time to time. He would walk away. He would quit. He would do his own thing. What keeps him close to God? The love of God. What keeps him moving forward? What keeps him waking up? What keeps him going? The love of God. What changed Paul? What was it that motivated him? The love of God. You understand because of who God is, because of his love, 
it should change how we respond to him. It should change how we carry ourselves. It should change our character because of the love of God. And verse number 15, it carries the idea that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live to themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. That there should be something different in our character because of what God has done for us. We are like a people like none other our God died for us. Our God rose from us. Our God loved us. Our God answers prayer. Our God does so many things. Because of that, we should not live for ourselves, but we should live for Him, live in a way that's pleasing to Him. We should be the ideal people for a God who loved us. Notice in verse number 16. Wherefore, henceforth, know that we know man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. Meaning that Christ is no longer in the, on the flesh. We no longer personally deal with him, but Christ is still our God. Verse number 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Because Christ is no longer in the body, he's no longer robed in flesh on this earth with us. Jesus made a promise that when he rose up, it's needful that he goes up. Because when he goes up, the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, comes down. And when you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that comforter, which is just as good as Christ being here personally with us, dwells within us. The moment that you accept Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit becomes a part of you, and you become a new creature. We call this regenerated. We are regene. We are a different creature. Because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is, present tense, a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That the Holy Spirit has changed us and made us different. Now we can respond to God. We no longer have to sin. We have the ability, because of the Holy Spirit within us, to live and be the type of people that God wants us to be. We are new creatures, and God expects us to live and respond and be these new creatures because of whom God is. What a wonderful thought. We are a new creature. God has designed us to be his ideal people because of who he is. Notice as we go on in verse number uh, 18, and all things are of God who hath reconciled himself by Jesus Christ and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice this as it uses this idea of reconciliation three times in this passage, or four times in this passage. Notice in verse 18, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is bringing two parties together in agreement. And so what Christ has done for us is that Christ had allowed us to be reconciled unto God. You see, beforehand, sin had put a deep wedge between us and God. God, because of his righteousness, because of his holiness, could not allow sinful man to come to him. 
Sinful man, even though we may have wanted to, we could not go to God because our sin kept us from God. Jesus died on the cross to pay that price and to clear up that sin so that way God and the people can be reconciled, brought together in agreement because the sin had been paid for, the penalty of sin had been paid for. And Jesus reconciled us to God. And now God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What is this ministry? It is our purpose to show these other people that God is, Jesus Christ had paid their price and they too could be reconciled to God. It is our responsibility to bring these two parties together, sinful man and God. And it is our responsibility to bring them together. It is our responsibility to tell them the word. It is our responsibility to tell them the gospel. It is our responsibility to show them the love of Christ and to show them they can have fellowship with God. They can be re reconciled to God. They could be reunited with God. They could spend time with God. We have the ministry of reconciliation. This is what God is expecting us to do with our life that because we're a changed people. Now remember this, the greatest evidence that the Bible works. The greatest evidence that what we say biblical Christianity is, the greatest evidence is the evidence of a changed life. We are different creatures. We are different people because of what Jesus has done for us. Because of his love for us. Because he died for us. Because he rose for us. Because he answers prayer. Because he does so much for us. He loves us. And we should be different people. And we could tell others our story. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for us. And let me tell you, Jesus can do that for you too. Let me show you how. And we tell them the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice if you don't mind, not only has he given us the ministry of reconciliation, this is what he's want us to do. Notice he's given us a tool for the job in verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. How are we to perform the ministry of reconciliation? Well, the tool that God has given to us is the word of reconciliation. We're supposed to use the word of God to help reconcile these people together. It says to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. You know what God did? God through Christ reconciled the world. He died so that way the world, the people of the world can be brought to him. And God desires that. He's not imputing their trespasses um, unto them. That word imputing is a nice legal term that carries the idea that he is not um, carrying their account. He's not looking at their record. He's not seeing them. He's seeing Christ's record. He's seeing a clear slate. He's not seeing all the charges against us because Christ paid those uh, charges. He has paid that righteousness. He has covered that sin. He has imputed his record on our account and God is no longer looking at our trespasses and we're supposed to show them that they can be forgiven of all of their sins. How is someone shown that? 
through the word of reconciliation. We're supposed just to declare the word of God to people and show them from the Bible that God loved them and that God desired to save them and that God desires to make them a new people and God desires to change their character to reflect the God that we serve. This word of reconciliation. And so what is we are... What is the difference? What are we supposed to be like if we're supposed to be God's ideal people? What is God's ideal people? People with a changed life. People that have the ministry of reconciliation. And people who use the word of reconciliation. Notice as it goes on in verse number 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though we did beseech you. By us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Notice this word reconciled again. You know, here it is telling us that we're supposed to be God's ideal people. And that we have the ministry of reconciliation. We have the word of reconciliation. But we also have a job. And that is that we're ambassadors for Christ. Again, verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a representative of a different country. In this case, we are ambassadors for heaven. We're ambassadors for God. And the way that ambassador carries himself, he actually carries the ideals of his nation. For example, if we had an American ambassador to a foreign country, the way that he carried himself was a reflection of the country that he represented. If we had an ambassador that decided that he was going to uh, just carry himself like he didn't care and carry himself where he didn't take baths and he didn't wash his clothes, he didn't iron himself, he looked like a slob. Well, that would be the reflection of the country that he had. The ambassador has to watch how they look and how they speak and how they interact with people. An ambassador has to be someone that could speak to a foreign nation, even if there's differences, and be able to explain to them the position of the people that they represent. They even how they speak has to be careful out. You understand we are ambassadors. We are a reflection of our God as we to go out to do the ministry of reconciliation. Using the word of reconciliation, we are ambassadors. Why is this important? Because we are supposed to be God's ideal people. We're supposed to be the reflection of the character of righteousness that God expects us to have. Why? Because we're ambassadors. We are a reflection of heaven. This is why everything we do in the Christian life matters. How you dress matters. How you carry yourself matters. How you speak matters. What you speak about matters. And we have to carry these things carefully. We have to carry them with the idea that we are reflecting our God because we're his ambassadors. This is the idea in the New Testament that we have of Yeshurun, God's ideal people. These people who carry themselves in righteousness because we are ambassadors. We're ambassadors who have the ministry of reconciliation. We're ambassadors who have the word of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Christ. Notice this last verse, which is one of the most theologically important verses in all the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 verse 21. For he hath made him that he is God, hath made him Christ to be sin 
for us. Who knew no sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Sum this all up in one verse. God had Christ die for us. Carry the sin of the world upon his body. Who knew no sin? Jesus knew no sin. He never told a lie. He never disobeyed his folks. He had no sin. But yet God had Christ carry the sins of the world in his body. Why? That we may be made the righteousness of God in him. So because of Christ, we are now made righteous. We are not just to be made righteous on standing with God. But God desires for us to live our life righteous because of the character of God. Because of the reflection of who God is. We are expected to be God's ideal people. God's ideal people of character and in righteousness. This is what the name of the God of Yeshurun means. It is the God of his righteous upright people. It is the idea that God expects us to live a certain way to reflect his character onto others. So for the purpose of the ministry of reconciliation. That God desires us to be good ambassadors so we could bring people together with God. And that we are to use the word of reconciliation. How does that reconciliation come to pass? We use God's word to bring people to him and reconcile them together. And in order to do that, we have to be a good ambassadors. We have to be a good reflection of God's character, of his idea, of what he sees us to be, wants us to be. So we could be good ambassadors for Christ. So let me ask you this, dear friend. Are you a good ambassador? The way that you live your life and the way that you interact people, are you a good ambassador for God? Are you a good reflection? When people see you and they hear you talk and they hear what you talk about, are they saying, you know what, that reminds me of who God is. That, the way that he talks, that's how I imagine God would want us to speak. The, way, the things that he talks about, that's the type of things that God enjoys. The way that he interacts with me. The way that he responds to me. That's how I expect God to respond to me. Even if they disagree with me. You understand this is an important idea. That we are supposed to be ambassadors for God. We are supposed to be God's ideal people in character and in righteousness. Are you that ambassador? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero. 
6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.